Matthew 24, the end times, you've got to be kind of keep moving anyways because things are moving in the world too. And, and, uh, but we don't know how fast they're moving. We really don't know the timing of it all. So while we wait, we need to live as if it could be at any moment, time, whatever. We, we see in the, in the, uh, the scriptures, the prophecies, uh, and all the different things that are going to happen. We talked about the rapture, the great tribulation, the second coming of Jesus, the deception, persecution, apostasy, false prophets, wickedness, all these signs all around us, and all these events are happening, and they will be happening in greater, greater uh, frequency. All these things will come to pass that Jesus promised his word is true. We don't know when, but they are coming. And so the question we have to always ask ourselves, are we ready? Are we right with him? Are we ready for that great, incredible event? Are we watching? Are we looking for him? Are we living for him? Today, uh, I want to talk a little about, a bit about while we're waiting, uh, what should we do? And, and, and really, the, the phrase I, I, uh, I read somewhere was, do something. Do something. And you'll see why I say that as we go. The first section here is about the faithful and the wise servant versus the false servant. The faithful and the wise servant versus the false servant, or the true servant versus the false servant. Look at verse 45, Matthew chapter 24. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? And again, the context is all about, you know, while we're waiting for his return... Verse 44, he says, he'll come in an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise, wise servant who the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? He says, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I think you already start to get the idea. There's, there's in here about doing something and about being busy. Um, let me move this. It's starting to bug me. Um, you could say, in some sense, this is directed to leaders and, and, and those that have responsibility in the church about, uh, you know, providing. But I think it, it's, it's wider than that. It's broader than that. I think for all of us are servants, and we all have places where we can serve and where we need to serve other people. But, of course, I, I, I see that and I say, you know what, there's a calling there for me personally to feed the sheep. And he, see, and he says here, for those that, that have responsibilities to teach the Bible, to give them their food at the proper time, to feed at the proper time. And of course, for us, the proper time is every time. Every time we get together, we have some kind of, some kind of, uh, some kind of food that we can partake in from this book. You know, we're hungry. You know, I don't know about you, but I get hungry. You noticed that, and you could tell that. I'm not starving. We're all servants, though. Each of us has a different job. Each of us has a different place, a part to play. I really like what Paul says to Timothy. He says these words. I won't have you turn there. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead... And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, he has this context as well of, of what's, what's going to happen. He says, I give you this charge. Preach the word. 
Preach the word. He said, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience, careful instruction. He says, you've got to preach the word, not uh, stories, not fables, not psychology, not sociology. Preach the word. That's what's going to make the difference for us, to preach the word, you see. Preach the word always, in season, out of season, even when it doesn't seem to, you know, well, well what, what does the Bible say about it? And sad to say, I hear about different things in different churches that don't even, you don't even bring Bibles. You don't need to. Or even a conferences that they have, national conferences you, you can go to and, and, and the Bible's not even there. Like, where is it? What good is it is the question. You might as well stay home and watch TV, I think. But we have a calling to preach the word. We've been taught, we've been taught by Pastor Chuck that, that you need to teach the word. Uh, he's, the, he's the one who, who is just over and over, that's all he ever does is just teach the word. He doesn't even say much except he just teaches the word. And by his example, for all these years of just teaching the word, preaching the word, it says in verse 3 of that chapter, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth, turn aside to myths. And I, and I can see that happening today. You know, people, they want their ears tickled. They want to just hear something that makes them feel good. Well, the Bible doesn't always have stuff that makes us feel good in every passage. But it's the truth. So what are we going to listen to? I could get up here every, every week and tell you a bunch of stories and, and make you feel good about yourself, but, but you know what? If, it, if it's not coming from the Scripture, what good is it? It's just, gonna, just a story that just evaporates, just like smoke blows away. Some of the biggest churches in America, I hate to say it, and, and you know, they, they, they don't even teach you know, the Scripture, and they, they only teach things that are positive only teach things that are, that are, you know, make you feel good about yourself. I don't know that's good preparation for life, really. Especially in the world I live in. I don't know what world you live in. You heard the world my wife lives in, and it's... Oh, yeah, that's my world. Oh, you know... Simon Peter, he had kind of a rough time, right? He denied the Lord three times, and Jesus restored him. But in that restoration three times in the last chapter of, of the Gospel of John, you know, Jesus comes to Peter, and he says, you know, do you, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord. And, and he says, you know that I love you. And, and what did Jesus say to him? He said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, do you truly love me? And, and he answered, yes, yes, Lord, you know that I do. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Well, I guess there's an example there of saying things that don't always make people feel good about themselves. It was kind of convicting for him. Maybe he didn't understand what Jesus was saying. But he said back to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
feed my sheep. So he said to feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. There's a sense that we need to take care and feed the flock, but we don't just give them candy. You know, if you, if you raise children, if you just gave them candy every single meal, they'd love you. And isn't that what we want? We want our kids to love us. That's all we want, right? Yes, she says. Man, you're going to have a big dentist bill, right? You can't just eat candy all the time. You've got to have meat and potatoes, and, and uh, some of you can eat potatoes, some of you can't. You've got to have all kinds of food, all different kinds and variety of food. Candy is good, but, but that's like a good dessert after a meal. But if we just live on the candy, not good, not good. Feed the sheep, he told Peter. We can read some of the words of Peter in, in First and Second Peter, and we know that. So Jesus says back here in Matthew 25, though, he says for the, for the servant to give them their food at the proper time and to be doing what he is called to do. And again, we don't all have the same ministries. We don't ha- have all the same gifts but he says to be found doing so when he returns, that he would catch us in the act of doing good. We think of caught in the act as caught in the act of doing something bad, right? Well, you got caught in the act. But, but he's talking here about being caught in the act of doing something good, of doing the right thing. And if we never know, if we don't know when it's going to happen, that means we got to just keep doing the right good thing, right? Because we don't know when it's going to happen. Look at verse 47. He says, uh, I, I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Put him in charge of all his possessions. In other words, that, that, that you, get, you get more. More is given to the one who is faithful, the one who, when he returns, he's doing what he's called to do. He gives you more. He blesses you with more. And, and you know, that's what God's called us to do. Be faithful with what he's given to us. That's the most important thing, is to be faithful with what he's given to us. It says in 1 Corinthians 4 that it's, requ- it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful, to be faithful with what he's given to you. Look at verse 48. But, that, but suppose that servant is wicked, and he says to himself, my master is staying away a long time, and he then, he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. Again, the, the wise and faithful servant versus the wicked false servant. And, and we see what happens here. He, he, you know, he says, my master's staying away a long time. I, I'm just pretty much going to do whatever I want to do. And he begins to, to do the evil thing. He begins to beat his fellow servants, eat and drink with drunkards, taking care of himself rather than doing what God's called him to do. David Guzik said that the evil servant who was not ready for the master's return, he, it says he, sinned, he says he sinned in at least three ways. He was not about the business the master left for him. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. Secondly, he fought with and he mistreated his fellow servants. And thirdly, it says, he says he gave himself to the pleasures of the world instead of serving his master. He began to eat and drink with drunkards. He just went out into the world, basically. We're called higher than that. We have a higher calling than that. Verse 50 
says the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he is not aware of and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, but I thought you were supposed to make me feel good about myself. You know, the word of God is saying these, these, these are words of Jesus. So we're not going to say what Jesus said. We're only going to say the good part and not the bad part. He says, if your heart's not right and you're not serving and, and, and active and, and, and that you are true and faithful, he says, look what's going to happen to you. You know, the, 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 big, the big buzz in the Christian world now is, uh, you know, there is no hell. Well, what is he talking about here? There's no hell, really? Well, you've got to start cutting things out to come up with those kinds of doctrines, those kinds of teaching. There is a place that's filled with weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a terrible place. Jesus warns us about it. What kind of servant are you and I going to be is the question. Faithful and wise or foolish and wicked? We have a choice. We have a choice, as we'll see. Let's look at chapter 25, the second section that I'm going to look at today. Chapter 25, verse 1, the parable of the ten virgins. The, the, the master, he will return. This is the context. Jesus will return, and we will stand before him. Chapter 25, verse 1, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. We can't stretch this and say, well, half people are good and half aren't. It, the, the point is that there were some decisions they made. They were, help, they were to help the bride, these bridesmaids, these ten virgins. But five of them were foolish. They made foolish decisions, and five were wise. Verse 3, the foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. And the wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The foolish took no oil, the wise did. Verse 5, the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. You see, it took longer than they expected. Now, notice this, that, you know, they all fell asleep. They all fell asleep. We all get tired, right? Sleep is good. Some of us have trouble finding it. So he's not making a point about that in terms of being tired and falling asleep. They all fell asleep. But, but five of them were ready when they fell asleep, and five were not ready. And when, I don't know about you, but when you get woken up all of a sudden, like, are you thinking all straight and everything? I don't know about you, but I'm like, like where am I? What, what, what? And, and, and you're going to take care of business then. No, you need to take care of business before then, you see. It's going to be longer, perhaps, than we think. So we need to be ready. We need to be working. And you fall asleep because you are busy, prepared, and you're, you're doing something. But when the time was right, it says that the cry rang out. The cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. That's exciting if you're ready. If you're not ready, it's not that exciting. It's like scramble time. So verse 7, it says, Then, the, then all the virgins woke up 
And they trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. They all woke up. They trimmed their lamps. The foolish, though, they wanted the wise to give them some of their oil, but they said no. You say, well, that's kind of mean. Why didn't they give them some? That You know, we got to help one another out. But the truth of the matter is that we can't help others get in. We, we, we can't keep others ready. We need to, to keep ourselves ready. And, and someone said this, that every person is responsible for his or her own spiritual condition. That doesn't mean that we don't help one another's to, and carry one another's burdens and, and, and try to do what we can. But spiritually speaking, I need to be ready for Jesus. I need to have a relationship with Jesus myself. I, I can't come to you at the last minute and say, please, uh, you know, give me some of your relationship, you see. And, and you say, why are you saying it's about relationship? Well, let's read and find out. Verse 10, it says, but while they were on the way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And later the others also came, sir, Sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. It's about relationship. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. You have to have your very own relationship with Jesus. You know, raising our kids, you know, we knew that, that you know, when they're young, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, it deals a lot with my relationship, my wife's relationship, what we do at home and, and the kind of home that we have. But there, there comes a time in every person's life when they need to make that relationship their own. And we saw that in our kids' lives. They had to come to that place where it became their own. It wasn't ours anymore. It was theirs, you see. And every one of us has to be responsible for our own relationship, our own spiritual condition. But when the time came, they weren't ready. The time came, they weren't ready. And it was, it was unexpected. It was expected, right? But it was unexpected. They knew it was going to come, but they didn't know when it was going to come. And the door was shut, it says. It was too late at that point. God forbid, you know, I, I, I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher. I'm not kind of somebody to make you, you know, sweat and all this stuff. But, but the truth of the, of the parable, what's being taught here is that we, we should not wait for a more convenient time. We should not wait until the last minute. We do not know. We need to be ready now because we don't know. That's the whole tenor of the whole passage here. We don't know when. So be ready now. Get ready now. Don't wait don't wait. It may be too late. It was too late for them. The door was shut, it says. He says, I don't know you. I don't know you. It's too late. The perils of procrastination. Verse 11, uh, verse uh, 13, he says, therefore, keep watch. Keep watch. Because you do not know the day or the hour. They were not ready. They had no oil. They were not uh, uh, prepared. They didn't have this relationship. 
In, in, in uh, other passages, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and looking at this, I believe that, that they were not born of the Spirit of God. They, they were not born again, if you want to put it into this context. They did not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They did not have a relationship with Him. Verse 13, or verse 14, excuse me. Oh, hold on, I got a couple more things about that I wanted to say. <clears throat> because he repeats that phrase we, about you do not know the day or the hour. We already, we've already seen that previously. But a couple other passages I want to mention. Uh, verse uh, in Luke chapter 12. Let's turn there. Luke, Luke chapter 12 and verse 35. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. says there, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants who find, whose master finds them watching when he comes. That's what we want to be like. Dressed, ready for service, keep your lamps burning, have plenty of oil. Don't let the lamps go out. That's you and I. We don't know when it's going to be, but are we dressed and ready for service? Are we ready to get out there and do what we need to do? Again, are we ready to do something? We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. I want you to turn to one other passage of 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I, I talked to you already about Peter and Jesus and, and Peter writes some pretty incredible words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10. He says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, and you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See what he's saying there? Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Be sure about who you are in Christ. Make sure your relationship is solid, that you have a relationship, a walk with Jesus. Don't let it depend on somebody else. Make sure you have a relationship with him. And then he says you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. That's what I'd like to hear. And that's what we're going to see here in the last of the three sections I want to look at today. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 25 in verse 14, the parable of the talents. So we have the, we have the faithful and the wise servant versus the false servant. We have the, the ten virgins, five of them foolish, five wise and verse 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. We see here they were distributed by the master to each one according to his ability. One received five, another two, and another received one. And, and this really is in God's 
This is God's sovereign choice. What he gives to each one of us, we don't all receive the same, and, and some receive more and, and some receive less. We, we can waste time and look around at other people and say, well, you know, that person got more than I did, so that's not fair, so, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to do anything. But, the, but the, really the, the message here is that that God's in charge of that, and we need to pay attention to what we have. I need to pay attention to what I have received from the Lord, not to what you have received. Again, the last chapter of John, you know, we have that kind of thing. Well, Lord, what about him? Peter is saying, you know, what about John? And, and the Lord says, don't you worry about John. You worry about yourself. You take care of what I have given to you. So... Look at verse 16. The man who had received the five talents went at once. When did he go? At once. No procrastination. And he put his money to work and he gained five more. He went at once. He got busy right away. He did something with what he had. And I think the message to you and I is we need to get to work. We need to use what we've received. You say, well, I don't know what I've received, but have you asked God? What have you given me? Have you... Um, try different things out? Have you looked at what things are available and, and how can I serve? Uh, you know, I, I think it's a cop-out for you and I to say, I, I, I don't, you know, there's nothing for me to do. Well, that's a cop-out. There is so much to do. There's more than we know to do. Well, there's more than, and than, than just a few people can do. There's way more than just a few people can do. We need to all get mobilized and do something. We've been uh, working on a board back here, and, 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 and you know, I think I, I had this idea we should put do something on the top of it, just because it's, it's covered with different ideas of things that you and I can do. And, you know, do we just walk by and say, oh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm busy, I got to get to the coffee. There's no donuts, but there's coffee, I got to get out there quick. Donuts coming soon. I just believe that God wants each one of us to be about his business, about the Father's business, and do something. Do anything. Look at verse 17. The one with two, he gained two more. He used what he had. The one with five gained five more. The one with two gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent, he went off, he dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. He went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. You know, it's possible that the, there's more danger for those with the least. But the truth is also that that includes most of us. Right? We're not, you know, we're not all Billy Grahams here in this room. We're not, you know, uh, these fantastic singers and, and all these different people that we look up to. Wow, they've got so much. So most of us are in the category of just, just a little bit that he's given to us. But what happens is we let others with more do the work. We figure they got more, so let them do the work. Let them do it all. 
John Corson said, if you are one who doesn't think you've been given much, you are one who needs to be especially careful that you don't bury that which you do have. If you don't think you have much, be careful. You're on the verge of being, you got your shovel ready. You're getting ready to bury that thing. Maybe it's just a tiny little thing. Whatever it is, don't say you don't have it because God's already given it to you. Verse 19, though, the day of reckoning comes. The Lord returns. The master comes back. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. And master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are some good words. Those would make you feel good. I think that's what each one of us should be thinking about. You know, with whatever God's given to us, are we going to stand before him and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. He says, you have been faithful with a few things. Even the five wasn't much, really, compared to, to the Almighty God. Five is really nothing. He says, but I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness or the joy. Come and share the joy. Come and share the happiness. There, there's something about that, 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 that he would say those words to you and to me because we've just been faithful. We've been wise. We've been diligent with what he's given to us. He says, well done, well done. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 22, the man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Notice there, those are the same words. Same words for the guy with two as the guy that had five. You see, you're, you're, you're held accountable. Each one, we're held accountable for what I have been given, what you have been given, to do the very best with what we have. Though they were given different amounts and different increase, they had the same response from the Lord. Someone said, that we are responsible to use well what God has given us. The issue is not how much we have, but how well we use what we have. How well we use what we do have. Verse 24, what about the guy with one? Then the man who had received the one talent, he came. And he said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, look, here's what belongs to you. When I read that, I just, I just see excuses. I just see blaming. He's blaming the master. And then he was saying he was afraid. Was he really afraid, or was he, as verse 26, the master says, you wicked, lazy servant. Was he just lazy and wicked? I was afraid. No, I was lazy is what I was. I was afraid. Now, and that doesn't mean to, I'm not trying to minimize fear. We all have fear. But we can't use that as an excuse. I was afraid, so I didn't do anything. That, that didn't work with Jesus, did it? Didn't work with the, the parable here of the talents. 
Verse 26, he said, so you knew that I harvest what I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would at least, I'll add, have received it back with interest. You should have done something. If you knew all that stuff, you should have at least done something with it. Do anything. Do something, he says. Verse 28. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has been, everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Very similar to the parable of the, the ten virgins and also into the, 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 the wise and the foolish or the untrue servant. There was no relationship with God there. It kind of it gives me the impression that if we truly have a relationship with God, we're going to be wanting to do what he wants us to do. And if we don't, it's not going to matter. I like this quote, and this kind of like brought it all together for me in terms of this, in terms of this one here uh, by a guy named McDonald who was a pastor and a commentator, and he, he wrote these words. He says, if this man had earned one talent, he would have received the same commendation as the others, Right? But get this, he says, instead, all he had to show for his life was a hole in the ground. All he had to show for his life was a hole in the ground. I think there's a double meaning there, don't you think? At the end of our lives, what, what do we have to show for it? Just a hole in the ground. Because we didn't do it. We didn't, we didn't get involved. We didn't take part. We didn't say, God, what can I do? I don't think there was any faith there. Someone said he lacked saving faith. But James says that faith without works is dead. Faith without action. If, if, if we truly have faith, and we're not talking about here that we do things to earn our way in, but because we're in, we serve. Because we have faith, it, it, is, it comes out of our lives in one way or another. James says... Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. He says, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. I'll show you my faith by what I do. We don't know when he's coming back. But number one, we gotta, we got to know for sure that we have a relationship with him. And number two, the whole... The whole idea here, here is that when he comes back, he'll find us busy. He'll find us doing something, active. You say, Pastor, you're trying to make me feel guilty. I didn't write these words. They're convicting for every one of us. That we need to be about the, the Father's business. There's a church in San Diego called The Rock. Some of you heard of it? And uh, the pastor's name is Miles McPherson, and he once played for the San Diego Chargers and served, he served many years, like 10 years at, at Horizon Christian Fellowship, uh, which is the Calvary Chapel where I uh, gave my life to Jesus Christ. 
And they call the church, interestingly enough, they call the church the do-something church. And this is what it says on their website. And I encourage you to go look at it. It's a huge church in San Diego. And I read these words on their website. It's time for you to do something. It's time to make your life count. It says, the world needs you. It's broken, says the pastor and author, Miles McPherson. Your neighbors are in desperate need of love and a helping hand. In his new book, Do Something, Make Your Life Count, Miles talks about our purpose and how everything that happens to us is a part of God's plan laid out before creation to prepare us for right now. He says you need to do something now. He said ordinary people doing extraordinary things. He says, you have a purpose. You've been prepared. And get this, the pain in your life shapes you for that purpose. And lastly, God's power enables you to act on your passion. You're ready to get out there and do something. The do something church. The do something board I mentioned earlier. It's got just all different kinds of areas. And, and, and my, my heart is really to see people find what, what fires them up, what gives them a passion. Not that, that I, you know, we're going to hand out, um, you know, assignments to everybody and tell you what you should do. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to know in ourselves and, 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 and you know, sense that, that God has a purpose for my life. And when my life is all said and done, you know, I've been faithful with what he's given to me. And it's not just a hole in the ground that's left there, but, but I've, I've been active. I've done something. I stepped up to the plate. You're not going to hit any runs if you never go to the plate, right? For you sports fans, oh, it should be ice hockey right now? Oh, boy. Number one, we've got to get a life. We've got to be born again. We've got to get a life. We've got to get the life, and the life is in Jesus. And number two, if we have a life, he wants to fill our lives with serving, with doing something for him. That doesn't mean that we, we, quit all, we all quit our jobs. We, you know, how do you know if, it's, if that serving is right there where you are? I don't know. You know, I got neighbors, and they're pretty interesting. I don't know, you know, what, you know how I can be involved some way, somehow. But, uh, you know, one of my neighbors, uh, he was out there yesterday, and, and I, we had to back the car out, and his little kid's driving this little battery-powered motorcycle thing. And they just drive right all through the street and everything. You know? Okay, be careful. But he was right in the way, and, and, and he, was, he wouldn't move. And, and so his dad's there, and he says, he's going, help, 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 help. You know, and his dad's standing over there, and, and him and his friend came up, and, and they go, you know, we all need a lot of help. And we, everybody on this street needs help. You know, it's a little dead-end street. And we go, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> but, but these little opportunities to interact with the people around us some way, somehow. And, and, and he, you know, he says, well, 
he saw what we were doing there. He gave us a kind of suggestion about some way he could help us. So, you know, there's opportunities that, that are around us to be involved with people, really. It's to be involved with people. But there's, you know, there's jobs to do around here, too. There's always cleaning and, and painting. There's always new studies or new kinds of ministries that, that are just not happening because there's nobody to kind of say, hey, why don't we think about doing a ministry like this? But usually what happens, you know, in churches, not, not here, in churches where, oh, we should have this ministry, and they, you know, they write it all out and they give it to me, the pastor. Okay, you should do this, you know. We should, you should do something. Here it is what you should do. But usually what I think when people get kind of ideas like that, it's, it's usually because God's given them the idea. And somehow to do something, to get involved, you know. We need help in a lot of different ways around here, you know. It's not just here, though, that I'm talking about, though. It's where you live and, and where you work and where you go to school. God, I want to serve you today when we wake up in the morning. What, where, how, when, what can I do? I only got a little bit. We saw, we saw the, you know, the, the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000. It only took a little bit, right? But it went a long ways. Why? Because the Lord touched it and the Lord prayed and the Lord broke and, and passed them out. But he took that little bit that they had. Of course, he gave that to them anyways. So, let's finish today. Um, number one, get a life. Number two, do something with it. Number one, get a life. Number two, do something with it. Those are the two points. And, and I want to give an opportunity as we pray, as we always do, for people to, to respond to the Lord. Not to me, but to the Lord in these areas. Number one, do you have that life? Are you born again by the Spirit of God? Don't, don't, don't procrastinate. Don't wait too long. And maybe all of you have already made that decision here, but there may be one person here that, that you still are on that fence. You're on that, you know, well, you know, I'll wait. I'll take care of it later. We don't know about later. And then secondly, for each one of us to, to decide, you know what? I, I'm still breathing. I'm still, you know, alive. I still have some energy. Maybe I'm tired, but I still have some energy. What can I do? And I say to you, do something. Do anything. Please. For your own benefit, not for mine. For your own benefit. When he returns and he finds them so doing when he comes, what a blessing it'll be. Or to hear those words, well done good and faithful servant because you've done something with what I gave you, he says to you and to me. Let's pray.